Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. It's good to have you with us on this rebroadcast of our Yom Kippur episode from last year. We're going to be live in just a couple of weeks again, uh, but for now, sit back and enjoy. And let me say, whether you're Jewish or not, may you be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Good Life. We'll see you soon with another live episode. Bye-bye. If you were afraid that you're going to die within a year and knew that you could do something to change that, would you? That's what Yom Kippur is all about. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is the holiest day of the Jewish year. Falling 10 days after Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur offers Jews the chance to come before God in fasting and penitence, beseeching God to inscribe us in the Book of Good Life for the coming year. On this episode, we will talk about the complexities of Yom Kippur. We will discuss the required fast, the sacrificial rites of the high priest, and special prayers such as the Kol Nidre. Finally, we will discuss the closing rituals of the Holy Day when we sound the shofar for the final time. During the past few weeks, we have often spoken of the book sitting before God, the book of good life, the book of death, and the book of the in-between. Prior to Rosh Hashanah, we are all in the book of in-between, hovering between life and death. By asking forgiveness from both humans and from God, we try to convince the Almighty to inscribe and seal us in the book of life. God's final determination is made by the end of Yom Kippur. We pray that we are in the right book. The locus for the Yom Kippur rituals is found in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 through 32. The Eternal spoke to Moses saying, Mark, the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a sacred occasion for you. You shall practice self-denial, and you shall bring an offering by fire to the eternal. You shall do no work throughout that day. It is a day of atonement on which expiation is made on your behalf before the eternal your God. Indeed, any person who does not practice self-denial throughout the day shall be cut off from his kin. And whoever does any work throughout that day, I will cause that person to perish from among his people. Do no work whatever. It is a law for all time throughout the ages in all your settlements. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you shall practice self-denial. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall observe this, your Sabbath. Let's unpack these verses. One of the unique features of Yom Kippur is the concept of self-denial, fasting. Adult Jews aged 13 and older are commanded to fast for 25 hours, from just before sundown on the evening of Yom Kippur until just past sundown the next day. There are many reasons given for this commandment, but my favorite explanation is that fasting cleanses our physical insides while prayer cleanses our spiritual insides. We figuratively kill our sins and are reborn in a state of purity. The mitzvah to fast is widespread. 
Yet the Mishnah makes several significant exceptions as to who should not fast. It's actually a rabbinic commandment based on the principle of pikuach nefesh, the saving of a life, that certain people must not fast. They include, of course, young children and the elderly, as well as pregnant women and those whose doctors tell them not to fast due to illness or because of medicines that require one to eat food, such as taking insulin. Interestingly, if you feel ill and cannot see a doctor, you yourself can decide not to fast. This does not mean that we should eat a five-course lunch. It means that we should eat and drink just enough so that we remain healthy and can pray without getting sick. The next clause is to offer sacrifices. Of course, we don't offer up sheep, goats, and bulls on Yom Kippur anymore. There is no temple in which to do so. But it does make sense to explore what these sacrifices were, for they still influence our prayers on Yom Kippur. The most important sacrifices were the sacrifices of the high priest. Prior to Yom Kippur, the high priest would move into a special chamber inside the temple grounds, away from his wife and family, where he would engage in prayer and meditation. On Yom Kippur itself, he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of his family and himself. Then he would offer a second sacrifice on behalf of the priests and Levites. Finally, he would offer a third sacrifice on behalf of the people. During this third sacrifice, he would enter the Holy of Holies for the only time during the year and recite God's divine name, which in Hebrew is spelled out as yud Hey vav Hey Y-H-V-H, which we pronounce with the pseudonym Adonai, translated into English usually as Lord. If he did not recite it with the proper intent, legend says that he would be struck dead. This was so important, a rope would be tied around his waist so that if he died, nobody would have to enter the Holy of Holies to carry him out. They would just yank the rope. There is more to this third sacrifice, and it's just fascinating. Two goats were brought before the high priest. By lot, one goat was designated for this final temple sacrifice, and the second goat had a red thread tied around its horn. The temple goat was, of course, sacrificed, but the other goat had a different fate. The high priest would lay his hands on the goat and transfer the sins of the people onto it. Then it was led into the Judean wilderness to be sent to Azazel, a mysterious place, or possibly even a demon, so that the people's sins would be destroyed with the death of the goat. They led the goat, which had a red ribbon tied around its horn, to this desolate place, where it would be thrown from a cliff. This goat is called in English, the scapegoat. Yes, this is where we get the term. We placed all the sins of our people unto the goat, and when the scapegoat died, so did our sins. With the fall of the temple, this ritual was changed into prayer form and became an integral part of Yom Kippur worship. However, it is only one of several unique features of the liturgy. We have whole sequences of prayers that are recited only on this day. In order of their appearance, they include the Kol Nidre, the Vidui, Yizkor, Azkara, and Ne'ilah. 
Don't worry, I'll explain each one of them now. Kol Nidre, which means all our vows, is perhaps the most famous passage in all of Jewish liturgy. Recited on the evening of Yom Kippur as the sun sets, it is an abrogation of vows. It's not even a prayer. It is so important that the Yom Kippur evening service is simply called Kol Nidre. Indeed, it is the best attended service of the year. The text of Kol Nidre is as follows. All vows, renunciations, bans, oaths, formulas of obligation, pledges, and promises that we vow or promise to ourselves and to God from this Yom Kippur to the next, may it approach us for good, we hereby retract. May they all be undone, repealed, canceled, voided, annulled, and regarded as neither valid nor binding. Our vows shall not be considered vows, our renunciation shall not be considered renunciations, and our promises shall not be considered promises. The Kol Nidre formula was written in Aramaic in the ninth century at the latest. It preemptively annuls any vows that we will make in the coming year. Other versions annul the vows that we took during the past year. This formula does not mean that Jews can abrogate legal contracts or other arrangements. Rather, it pertains solely to vows between a Jew and God. Jews are still expected to to fulfill these vows, but if one cannot fulfill them, this formula releases them from that obligation. In a moment, we'll discuss the Vidui and other important parts of the Yom Kippur service. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this is Torah for Christians. Welcome back to Torah for Christians. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr. Before we return to our discussion of Yom Kippur, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Please remember to rate and review this episode, as well as previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, and other great podcasting sites. Also, you can like us on Facebook. Let's turn to the Vidui. In Hebrew, Vidui means confession before God. These public confessions are recited in the plural. One of the prayers in this section begins each line with the formula, for the sin that we have sinned, al-chet shechatanu. And there's a long list of sins. Certainly, one individual cannot commit all of these sins, but by couching them in the plural, we enable atonement without public shaming. The vidui is recited at each of the five prayer services on Yom Kippur. It is a unique feature of the holy day. There are two parts of the day that are even more solemn than Kol Nidre. The Yizkor, memorial service, recalls those in our families and among our congregants who have died, whether in the past year or even earlier. Remembering our beloved dead at this time is most appropriate. Many Jews also light a Yizkor memorial candle, one for each of our departed, that burns for 24 hours. The Azkara is a different type of memorial service. This service recalls those Jews who have died as martyrs from the Hadrianic persecutions of the second century to the terrors of the Crusades, to the Spanish Inquisition, to the Cossack invasions in the Ukraine, and of course, the Holocaust. It is a very painful part of Yom Kippur Day. 
At the very end of the Yom Kippur day, just before we break our fasts, we recite the Ne'ilah service. Ne'ilah means locked. During the service, we beseech God one last time to seal us in the book of good life before the gates of heaven are locked. We offer a bevy of prayers, including a final vidui. But as we approach the end of the Ne'ilah, the concluding service, we begin to get a sense that God has accepted our prayers. The music begins to change from dirges to the brighter melodies that we expect during the rest of the year. By the time we come to the end of the service, there is joy in the sanctuary. Finally, we sound the shofar one last time to end the day. This call is linked to the traditional Jewish ideal of next year in Jerusalem. Not only does this call express the hope that we can celebrate Yom Kippur in Jerusalem, which is a wonderful experience, by the way, but more important, it expresses the Jewish longing for God to send the Messiah to earth. By reciting this, we Jews are praying that this will be the year of the world's ultimate redemption. And then we break our fast. Typically, we eat dairy foods as they are easier to digest after a long day of fasting and prayer. Usually, there is a simple repast of challah, wine, and other liquid refreshments at the synagogue so that we can safely drive home or to larger gatherings, which we call the Yom Kippur Break the Fast. It's a time to enjoy traditional Jewish foods and share in the belief that we have been sealed in the Book of Good Life for another year. I want to thank you for listening to Torah for Christians. You can listen to and rate previous episodes on Apple, Spotify, or other popular podcast outlets. Also, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram. Next week, we will discuss Sukkot and Simchat Torah, the Jewish festivals that follow Yom Kippur by only four days. Yes, we Jews know how to create a busy month. Have a great day and remember, how good and how pleasant it is for us to dwell together in unity. Till we see each other again. I'm Rabbi Jordan Parr, and this has been Torah for Christians. Mm-hmm.